so for those of you that have kind of uh, maybe not been aware of what we're doing, we've been doing over the last uh, kind of couple of months, I guess, uh, a series on the church uh, and the importance of the church and how God has a great plan for the church. Um, and uh, so I just want to run you through, because you may have forgotten where we were up to. Um, uh, so the first, first three weeks, we really talked about the foundations of the church. We talked about the Bride of Christ. We talked about the fact that the church is built uh, and held together by love, loving one another. We talked about discipleship in the context of a family that grows up. So we talked about the foundations on which the church uh, is built. Uh, and then we talked about the spiritual gifts, the fact that we all uh, have been given gifts of God that we're called to use to build up the church, uh, about how we are a people of praise, that God calls us to focus on praise as a means to entering uh, more of his, his presence and more of his purposes in our life. Uh, and then we talked about the challenging subject a couple of weeks ago about church discipline and what happens when things go wrong. Uh, and that's really about the building up of the church, how the church gets stronger. Uh, and I want to finish the series. Uh, we've got two more weeks. Um, and I'd like us to talk uh, the, this, this morning about spiritual warfare. Uh, and then I will follow it on and talk next week about prayer, because these two subjects are linked. Uh, and for those of you that have been clever in watching what we've been doing, we've been kind of following through uh, and picking up things through the book of Ephesians. Um, and so that's why uh, we're going to focus particularly on the passage um, um, from Ephesians this morning uh, that relates to how we engage with uh, principalities and powers. Because as a church, as a church, I believe we are called to go forward together. We've been talking a lot about that, haven't we? We're not a group of random individuals that happen to meet together on a Sunday morning or maybe in a midweek. We are a family. We are a body. We are together. And, and I believe this is the context in which when we talk about spiritual warfare, it's not just about you doing your thing. It's about us together moving in what God has called us to operate in. Amen? All right. So... Um, I don't know if you've ever uh, heard of a guy called C.S. Lewis. He had uh, quite a lot to say on quite a lot of subjects, and generally what he said was quite worth hearing. Um, and he made this point about spiritual warfare. He said, uh, enemy-occupied territory, that is what the world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say landed in disguise, and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. Now, many people, I think, feel a little bit uh, uncomfortable when we start talking about spiritual warfare, all right? Because we live in a very secular world. We live in a very physical world. Um, I, I have, um, uh, for those of you that don't know, Helen, uh, my wife, she grew up in uh, Thailand um, and spent the first 16 years of her life living in Thailand and India. Uh, and in Thailand, spirit worship and the whole idea of uh, another world is very much part of their culture. You drive past uh, any house and there will be a spirit house uh, on the doorway where they put uh, food and they offer um, sacrifices to the spirits. And uh, uh, Helen experienced as a, a young child, um, uh, like, and her parents did in their work in mission stuff, when the, you know, they were genuinely afraid, these, many of these people, of the spiritual powers that had an impact on their life. We live in the West where we are driven and dictated to primarily by a very scientific worldview, right? Now, that's not necessarily a terrible 
thing. I'm not against um, a scientific approach to many things. But one of the negatives are is that we can forget that we live in a spiritual world as well as just a physical one. Okay, uh, and, and I know there are many people that can get very unhealthy when we talk about these kind of things. Um, they can get very kind of fixated on the spiritual things uh, and they run around and kind of trying to be all sort of fighting spiritual warfare. Um, and, you know, that's not necessarily right either. And we'll talk about that this morning. But we have to recognise it's there. And we can't run away from it. And I believe that we can't run away from it because it's in God's word. It's in the Word of God. And so let's turn now. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read, we're going to be spending all of our time primarily in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, um, which is Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 18. Uh, And so that's where we're going to go. I have got it on the screen. um, uh, And in case you haven't got uh, your Bible with you or you haven't got your phone with you, um, for those of you that are phone orientated. Okay, so it says, Finally, my brethren... Finally, one of the last things I'm talking to you about, Paul is saying, finally, be strong in the Lord. Or I think you could put the phrase, be made strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always... Oh, did I put that on? Yeah, I did. Did I put that on? Yeah, I did. Yeah, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And so that's why I want to talk about prayer next week. We're going to talk really about verse 18 next week because prayer is a key part of spiritual warfare. Um, but yeah, this, this passage is in the Bible and it, it, it is, uh, interestingly, um, if, you, if you wanted to know, um, uh, I won't make you turn to it, uh, but I found this fascinating, is that, this is the same armour that Jesus himself puts on. If you were to go to uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 49, uh, it says in verse 16, it says that there he saw that there was no man and he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. Because it says this in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 17. And he, this is Jesus, he put on his own, uh, so he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation for his head and he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with a zeal as a cloak. And I found that really interesting that, that Paul is not just talking about something that he's made up. This is a reflection of what is in the Old Testament that what uh, Isaiah is prophesying that Jesus does. So Jesus girds himself 
with these things. And so therefore ought we. So the first thing that I want us to think about this morning when we're thinking about uh, this passage is the recognition that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't just battle in our daily lives as a church with the physical. That is the point that Paul is trying to make. And if you've read, as we've looked at through the book of Ephesians, he says that multiple times, doesn't he? He talks about principalities and powers several times in Ephesians and lots of, in other, lots of other places uh, in his writings. Um, but I would say there's something in me uh, that does not want to face the reality that we live in two worlds. Right? Uh, it, there is something about human nature that doesn't want to face the reality that we live in two worlds. We live in the physical, material world where we have jobs, read books and go about our business and we live in a spiritual world and that world is at war. And that world is at war. And Paul is saying to them, guys, you need to be aware of these things that are going on. If you are not aware, you're going to find life as a church difficult. You're going to struggle to be able to take ground for the kingdom if you're not aware of what you are really engaged with. And you may think that you're in a battle uh, or you're in a disagreement with someone at work who's just being really difficult, yeah? Who's just being a real problem or you've got a friend that seems to be really making your life a challenge. And you may think it's all just in the material. But you're not. As a Christian, that may be a spiritual battle going on where you are called to bring peace into that situation. And we are, as a church, we must not forget that we live in two different worlds. And Paul understood this more than anyone else, didn't he? I mean, Paul, Paul had been stoned, beaten, run out of town, shipwrecked. His flesh had been torn, his blood had been spilt, he'd been resisted in ministry and criticised and accused and falsely accused. He'd been imprisoned and surely he'd have done all of those things and he'd have said, you'd have said, Paul, aren't you upset with the people that did it to you? Aren't you upset with those people that threw you into prison or lied about you? And Paul says, no, that's not my problem. My problem is the people... The principalities and the powers, the things that exist behind that. Because I don't just war against flesh and blood, I war against the spiritual things. And so we have to realise that spiritual warfare is a daily reality for us and it touches every area of our lives. Whether it's families, workplaces, neighbourhoods, communities. We need to realise if we want to see the gospel break out in our communities, in your road, in your neighbourhood, you are going to face opposition. You are going to face a force that does not want the gospel to impact and change people's lives. And so I think it's important this morning uh, that we talk very briefly about who the enemy is. Uh, maybe this is something we don't talk about very much in church for good reason. Why do we need to focus on the enemy when we will discover in a moment that we already have the victory? Uh, but I think from time to time it is useful to us to understand who the enemy is. Very good, Samson. Getting there. 10 out of 10 <clears throat> already, beating me to it. So, uh, we see, don't we, in this passage uh, that Paul says um, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And so, we have, there is a, a, a devil uh, who has an army of fallen angels. This, the devil is not equal to God. 
Right? That is not the case. It's not that you have the devil and he's an equal opposite force to God. The devil was created, and uh, if you read through your Bible, we're not going to spend time talking about it, uh, that he was uh, an, uh, an angel alongside another archangel called Michael and Gabriel, uh, and he chose that, to try and be equal with God, and he fell from heaven, uh, and now he is on earth, and he took um, a percentage of, uh, a significant percentage of angels with him. Uh, and they are now uh, on the earth and roaming around the earth. That's what the Bible says. Uh, the devil is not a scary red man with a pitchfork and pointy horns. To think about the devil like that is to, I think, undermine uh, how powerful he actually is. He's not a cartoon character. Right? He is a real, damaging, dangerous force. And the thing about this army, they hate God. They hate God. I am like in a way that you and I can never understand. The devil hates God. He hates who he is. He hates what he stands for. And he is seeking to oppose him in every single way that he possibly can. Wherever Jesus brings light, the devil is seeking to cover it back over with darkness. And so every time we step out and we try and share the good news of Jesus Christ with our neighbour, we are immediately offending the devil. He does not want us to do that. When you are declaring righteousness over your family or you are seeking to be free from sin that has held you, the devil hates it and his army hates it because you are doing that which pleases God. And do you understand that? So we need to realize, Paul is saying that, he, that the devil will oppose us whenever he has the opportunity. Very good, Samson. Absolutely spot on. Yeah, we need to follow Jesus. The reason we mustn't think about the devil as some kind of cartoon character is because uh, the devil and his army are powerful, far more powerful than we are, right? They are intelligent, far more intelligent than we are, um, and in no way are to be underestimated. And I think often people can have a very, oh, well, you know, the devil, whatever, it doesn't matter, or equally, oh well, the devil, oh, we've just, he's not a problem, etc. You know, and I think that's to be giving him not enough credit. Um, he is indeed, and they are powerful. However, just because that is the case, they are already defeated. Amen. 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 Right? When Jesus went to the cross, right, Jesus dealt a death blow to the devil and all of his forces. Jesus is far more powerful than all of them. He's, he has already won the victory, has defeated death. The greatest weapon that the devil had was death and Jesus has defeated it. And so we need not be afraid, we need not be scared of him. Though we may respect and be aware of his power and his presence, we are not afraid and we're not going to run away from him or be scared of the devil because Jesus has defeated him and Jesus is in us and what does it say? He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. And it says that Christ has disarmed the principalities and powers and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And this gives us such an amazing confidence when we approach these things. We can be aware that things are happening, but we do not need to be afraid or worried or, or burdened by these things. We need just to press on. I want to make a comment at this point, um, which 
I'll make a comment, um, and, and you can think of it what you will. It's interesting that Paul talks in this passage about principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. He uses four different descriptions. Now, that can be four different descriptions of the same thing, uh, but it could actually be that there are different types of uh, demonic forces that operate. Okay, uh, and um, you know, I would say that um, uh, David and I were having an interesting discussion about this during the week. Um, and uh, David had been watching a program on financial institutions, uh, and basically the way that some of these financial institutions have got such incredible power and really are very damaging to the world and to uh, human, ordinary people at the bottom of the rung. And and we were kind of speculating whether or not actually that is an example of a demonic force that is controlling and operating those things. Uh, and when you look in, the, in the, the Bible, there's lots of evidence of certain types of demons that live in certain places, and some people have called these territorial spirits, right? That may, my personal belief is that there are different types of demons, and they exist, and they probably rule certain areas, but this is my utter conclusion to you that I want you to follow. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, right? We are not called to chase after particular things here and particular things there and worrying about trying to name demons or anything like that. I see no evidence for that whatsoever in the Word of God, right? We just need to recognise that we are in a, in a war and we may come across Satan and, and some of his demons. And it's interesting that Jesus, uh, in, when he equips and releases his disciples in Luke chapter 9 and then chapter 12. What does he tell them to do? Luke chapter 9. It says, Then he called his 12 disciples together and he gave them what? Power and authority over what? Demons. The first thing that he said when he sent them out was, you're going into a war and you need to deal with demonic forces. That's the first thing you could have said, go out there and preach the gospel. It's the first thing he says. He doesn't. He says, you need to deal with the demonic things. I just found that very interesting. And cure diseases, heal the sick. And he sent them to then preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Uh, and then I, I love in Luke 10, he send, does it to, sends out 12. And then he sends out 70. So it wasn't just for the few, it was for his whole big group. All right? um, and then he says, Luke 10, verse 17, it says, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Amen. Amen. And so we have to realise that we have a responsibility before God and have the authority before God to deal with the devil as and where we find him, right, or his forces. And it says in, in 2 Corinthians, uh, in fact, I, I think this is a really important verse, by the way, this one. Uh, I'll deal with this one first. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Amen? Casting down arguments. Amen. And in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity uh, to the obedience of Christ. And so we are called to deal with problems as and when they come. But it's really important that we get the correct perspective when we're talking about this. Okay? Because you could be thinking, right, let's lock and load. Yeah? Let's go, right? Okay? You know, let's go out into the streets and sneak to like, you know, find some demonic forces and deal with them a hefty blow, right? That's not the right perspective when we approach this thing, right? 
you can ask me questions at the end, right? You've had your allowance of questions this morning. All right? <coughs> um, so the first thing is, we mustn't give the enemy too much credit, okay? Right? There is a tendency, when we start talking about these kind of subjects, is to say that every single bad thing that has ever happened, clearly, must be the devil. I want to tell you that I'm capable of making a mess of my own life all on my own. Right? I am capable of making mistakes without anybody else's assistance. There is definitely, our bodies are part of a sinful world, right? There are times when we get sick because we are sick and our bodies are sick, not because of some demonic problem. There are times when we have problems with people at work because people are difficult, right? Not every problem we face is a demonic problem. And if every problem you face, you think, right, let's get out the sword and we're going it, right? I think you'll find yourself in a bad place. That's not the way that we're not uh, meant to approach it equally. We do not need to seek the enemy out. If our approach is that we are going to go looking for him around every corner and behind every door and in every dark place, all right, that is not what the Lord has called us to behave like. Uh, and it's very dangerous, I think, if you do that. Okay? Um, and, and I love the fact, and I was going to read it here. Um, I've got it, it, the size got messed up. Uh, and Peter, Jesus is talking to Peter about the church. And this is the first mention of the church. And the first mention of the church is this, right? Uh, I will build my, uh, 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 and I say to you, you are Peter on this rock, I will build my church. And what does it say? The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Okay? So um, the first thing that Jesus says about the church is it will have power over the enemy. But equally, right, it says that there are, that, that essentially, that there are gates. Right, now, as an army, we are called, right, as a church, to a mission. Our mission is to do X, Y, and Z. We do not need to go running around looking for the devil in the left place, in the right place. We just need to do what God has called us to do. And when we encounter the resistance of the gates, of the, the, the barriers that the enemy puts up, we, they will not be able to stand against us. Do you understand? But we don't need to go looking. And if you're going looking, you're doing something wrong. We need to have the confidence that God has given us the power to overcome the enemy. So that's the second thing. The third thing is, and I've, well, I've just made this point, the enemy can't stop the church. The gates of hell cannot stop the church winning out. So when we encounter problems or obstacles that are of a spiritual nature, we are not going to go, oh, well, oof. well, we better stop now then. We have the power. Amen? Amen. We have the power to overcome the devil and his forces when we encounter them. Nothing can stop us. But I think it's important that we are aware of the schemes of the enemy. There are at least two times when Paul says, and you, you, we read it in this passage, uh, and it says, uh, <clears throat> to put on the whole armour of God... Why do we put on the whole armour of God? So that we can stand against the wiles. There's an expression that's not used very much, right? My, my, my six-year-old son has many wiles, yes, uh, to get his way, doesn't he, darling? Yes, many... And another word that's often used, and uh, Peter uses this in his epistle, he says the schemes of the enemy. The devil has lots and lots of plans, in order to try and unpick the church, to attack the church, to undermine the church, to resist the church, there are many schemes. 
And so I think it's helpful for us this morning to be aware of what those schemes are. Because as we identify the schemes, it enables us to see it, to discern it, and to deal with it, and to move on. Amen? All right? And I think that there is some, some uh, helpful, uh, it's helpful for us to think, and I think that's why Paul talks about the armour of God, because he's saying these are some of the schemes that the devil follows. And so he uses a picture of armour, that we are called to dress ourselves in a particular armour. And he would have seen... Uh, many Roman soldiers. Paul, in fact, was a Roman. And so the Roman soldiers would have been everywhere. And so this is what a Roman soldier would have looked like. They would have had a shield, a sword. They would have had a breastplate, a belt, some shoes, a helmet, uh, and you know, some uh, tunic underneath, I would think. And so when he is talking about the armour of God, this is what he is thinking about. Okay? Um, and so what I'd like us to do this morning is I'd like us to think about the scheme of the enemy and how each piece of armour is designed to defeat or protect us against those, those schemes. Yeah? These are not an exclusive list of the devil's schemes. Right? I'm sure there are others uh, and I'm sure that um, you, know, you could dig into this in more detail. But I think it's helpful for us to see the scheme and to see what Jesus has said that we have in order to defeat it. So the first scheme... Oh right, yes, yeah, sorry... This is why I think Paul talks about this in the context of the church, is that a Roman soldier was not meant to operate like a sniper from a distance. That was not how the Romans operated. They operated, has anyone seen Asterix and Obelix? Have never read an Asterix and Obelix comic? Yeah? No, if you haven't, I suggest you buy one, right? They're brilliant. But you see, that was my, my entire understanding of the Romans came from Asterix and Obelix, okay? Um, but the Romans were an fearsome military machine. And the reason they were a fearsome military machine was because they were well-equipped, but they used their equipment to work in partnership and teamwork. Has anyone seen the film Gladiator? Is that a better reference? We've seen the film... Yeah, Lauren's seen the film Gladiator. My fa- one of my favourite scenes is the first bit. Sorry, forgive me, Jesus, for enjoying all of the, uh, the killing that takes place uh, in that first scene. Uh, it's a historical reference, so I can enjoy it from that point of view. But the Romans, weren't they? If you see that, they were incredibly well-disciplined, and the, the barbarian horde were basically just people running with, with swords and spears and axes, and essentially the, the fact that they were able to work together as a team meant that, really, they were always destined to fail. And I think this is why Paul talks about the context of spiritual warfare in the context of the church. If you're going out there with your shield on your own going I can take him on yes you will find that you'll be defeated because you were not meant to stand alone Paul's thinking about a Roman soldier who would have looked and practiced and fought in that manner not in an individual hero yeah Jesus is not looking to create Rambos yeah spiritual Rambos that have you know got a headband on and are happy to just kind of roll in free thanks Joyce you were the only one that laughed but it was funny (coughs) That's good. No, don't apologise. It gives me uh, yeah. So, what's the first piece of armour that Paul talks about? The first one he talks, he says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Oh, you're giving me... Am I... Am I drawing low? So, the first scheme that the devil always seeks to operate, particularly in the context of the church, is deception. If he can deceive the church and bring in untruth and lies, he will unpick so much more of what the devil, uh, what what God wants to do. 
And this is what a belt used to look like, uh, for those of you that, that don't know. It wasn't just a belt. Um, so the Roman soldiers wore big baggy tunics under their armour. Um, and so the, the belts enabled them, they would often tuck up uh, their tunic into their belt so that they could move more freely. But also it was the place where every, hung everything else together, the belt. Right? So I don't know if you've ever seen any policemen wandering around. We don't have any policemen in the church. Um, uh, but I'm sure that they would say that one of their most important pieces of kit is their belt. Because on their belt sits uh, their handcuffs, uh, the, uh, the radio, the keys, the torch, the truncheon, a bit of pepper spray. Um, now they carry those tasers, don't they? Yeah? Um, and probably a holder for their donut. Yeah? <coughs> No, it's not true. I think, uh, to be fair, I, I probably eat more donuts than the average, uh, <coughs> uh, the average policeman. But the belt is important in holding everything together, and it is important for being the place where everything's can hang off of. So if you, if we, if the devil can essentially right, undermine the church by removing truth, he removes the thing by which everything else hangs together. So if he comes into the church and says, and just subtly whispers into the church, do you know what this church needs to be about? really just all about people and empowering them and all about a me-centric Christianity, not really about Jesus, more about just how we can find happiness and peace, etc. Subtle, isn't it? But if that becomes the truth that we follow in the church, we will find that we will become weak, we'll have no power, and so we have to be clear, what does the Bible say? Yeah? If we come in and, and we start to believe, well, oh, oh, this person believes this, and it doesn't really say that in the Bible, but that's okay, you can believe that here. Right? And then if that person believes this and this person believes that and it's not in the Bible, we'll end up in a situation where there's no truth and if there's no truth in the church, there's nothing to hang anything off and suddenly we've got our armours all over the place and we're vulnerable and of course the church has already been defeated. And it's the same in your life. If you are not invested in understanding and building your life on the truth, you are basically allowing everything else to fall apart. The belt is the structured integrity of your life. And if you are realising that you are feeling like you're not sure what the truth is, I'd love you to come and talk to me and we can get to what the Bible says the truth is. Amen? So this is the second thing. Now, what's the second piece of armour? The second piece of armour is the breastplate of righteousness. And now the enemy's scheme, the second scheme that the enemy loves to bring is guilt and condemnation. I think this is one of his most favourite. Yeah? Okay? Before you sin, the devil will whisper in your ear. It's not a big deal. It doesn't matter. No one will find out. No one, you know, everyone else does it. You deserve it. You only do this, you know, uh, it's, it's only this one off time. You won't get caught. It doesn't matter. The devil will whisper. And the moment that we fall into sin, after we've sinned, he'll say things like, you're nothing. You're a failure. You're pathetic. You've made a mess of this. You're, it's your fault. You feel awful. And what happens when we get into that situation, this horrible word that we don't use very often in English, condemnation. Anyone ever felt condemned? You feel condemned. You feel like a failure. And your heart starts to feel heavy. And you feel heavy and you think, I'm a failure. And so you think, I can't really pray today because how can I really come and pray? Because really, I'm such, a, I'm, I'm such a terrible Christian. I'm so awful. Like, how can I, if, if people knew what I was really like, uh, it would just be awful. And so we find that all of a sudden our heart is a mess, isn't it? And we can't, like, 
we can't do, we, we, we stop serving in the church because we feel unworthy, we stop sharing the gospel with people because we feel condemned and we feel guilty and we feel ashamed and what happens is we've got no breastplate and the devil's gone straight for our heart. And what Jesus, what, what Paul is saying is you need the breastplate of righteousness. You need to realise that you are covered in righteousness, that my heart is protected. Now what is your heart, what, whose righteousness is your heart protected by? Jesus, this is really important, not your own. Right? Your own righteousness is basically like drawing out a piece of paper or cardboard and cutting it out. Yeah? And sticking it in front of yourself and hoping that that's somehow going to protect you. If someone comes along with a sword and you've got a, you know, something you've made with the kids right, as your breastplate of righteousness, it's not going to stand up to the pressure the devil puts on you, is it? But Jesus' righteousness says that you are forgiven because of what Jesus has done. You are free because of what Jesus has done. You are no longer under condemnation because of what Jesus has done. And it's very important that we say every day, thank you Jesus, that though I am weak, though I am a failure, your blood has covered every one of my sins and your death on the cross has brought life for me. And we put it on every day and when the devil comes and he says, he attacks our heart and you feel that punch in your heart, you think, go away devil, go away. I'm loved because of what Jesus has done for me. And we were, uh, this week, uh, Ruth and I were talking with Ali, weren't we? We were going through that wonderful scripture, right, where it says, but God, rich in mercy, because of his great love, loved us even when, when? We were dead in our sins. Even when we were dead, he loved us. So there's nothing that we do that deserves the righteousness of Christ. It's his choice and we have to put that on. And there may be people here this morning that are feeling just unnecessarily heavy. Feeling like they're a failure and they're a sinner. And let me tell you, you've got to deal with it. You can't, you know, want the breastplate of righteousness and carry on living in sin. You have to be prepared to get right. But the moment you're saying, Lord, I'm sorry, I repent, will you forgive me? You can put on the breastplate of righteousness and there's no shame or guilt or condemnation that can affect our heart. Amen? You see, Satan accuses, Jesus advocates, and the Holy Spirit convicts. Satan accuses, Jesus fights on our behalf. Amen? So that's the, the second one, right? The third piece of armour that Paul calls us to talk, put on are the shoes of peace. One of the, the, the great tactics, I think, of the devil is to bring division and strife. Anyone experienced that in their family? Yep, amen. In the workplace, right? In the church. I remember there was a situation that I had to deal with in, in a church situation, not in this church. Um, and I remember being asked to come in and uh, be part of a conversation where people had fallen out. And I was trying to get to the bottom of what it was, right? It was trying to get to the bottom of what it was, right, that had really upset and caused the situation. And do you know what? You pulled it out of the way. And it was nothing. Honestly, I tell you what, it was like someone hadn't done this or someone felt this and, and someone had possibly made a comment here that wasn't really a comment. And when you looked at it, I don't know if you've ever had those kind of arguments, when you try and dig it down and you realise there is absolutely nothing to this. I cannot work out who's done what wrong. As far as I can tell, no one's really done anything really wrong. But somehow the devil has got in and what has he done? He's brought division, hasn't he? 
He's brought strife. He's brought argument. He's brought anger. And suddenly you find there's this huge, great argument. And everyone's really upset and really disagreeing with each other. And you think, how on earth has this happened? There's not even anything to this. If that's the case, my experience has been, and I remember in that situation, we prayed against the work of the enemy in that situation. And, and whilst it didn't resolve itself perfectly, I believe, and, and people sort of said to me afterwards, that was really helpful. It helped us to see and identify that the problem wasn't with us, it was with something else. And I think that, that often we, we need to recognise that when there's stuff going on in our workplaces or whatever, we need to realise that maybe there's a spiritual component to that. Right, I, I want to uh, make a, a, a comment at this point um, uh, about the general election. Right, right. <laughs> I, we are living, in all seriousness, we are living in, in very, very divided times. Where people are literally shouting at each other and arguing and, and saying all kinds of horrible things because some people believe we should be in the EU and some people believe we shouldn't be in the EU. Some people believe that Labour are the best thing that's ever happened. Some people believe conservatism is the best thing that ever, ever happened. I want to say this to you now. Do not bring politi party politics into this church. Right? I, I absolutely, I want us to go out and I want us to vote. Right? Everybody has the responsibility to, to be part of that. Right? But I believe, and I've seen elders, I remember sitting in a conversation where elders were arguing with each other, like really arguing with each other about this stuff. And I'm like, guys, what are you doing? It's just the devil. The devil will use it to stir up strife. Right? And I think we need to be really careful about bringing our... You know, I'm not saying that people can't believe these things, uh, you know, have a, have a view on this subject. I don't, I don't have a problem with that, right? But I would ask you to be sensitive because I don't think that it brings, uh, it very rarely seems to bring peace. It just seems to bring more division. And, I, and we need to be very careful when we say these things that we realise that, that we're not putting our hope. I, I have no hope in Boris or Jeremy, or Joe, or whoever else, right, and whoever they believe in, that's not where my hope sits. My hope sits in Jesus Christ and his work in our nation. And so I will vote according to that which I feel uh, is right, but I'm not saying I am right, I'm just saying that's what I feel, but I don't feel that it's right that we bring that argument into the church. And praise God, I don't think this is a church that does. And I think if you want to look at where it goes wrong, go to America, where people have made it a big deal. Right? So that's just because what are we called to do in that situation? What is our weapon against that? Peace. We are called to be peacemakers. We are called to bring the peace of God into a situation. And you know what happens when someone lies about you? I, I remember a, a situation at work and someone started to say stuff and I remember getting really, really angry. You know when people say stuff about you that's just not true? And you're like, that's not true. That is just not true. And I remember getting really angry. But I realised in that moment that God was saying to me, be a peacemaker. Bring peace into this situation. Bring the shoes, walk peace into this situation. What the church has to do in our communities is walk peace into it. Bring peace where there is division. If there's political division, we bring peace. If there's personal division, we bring peace. If there's emotional uh, fighting in family, we bring peace. And I, I love the, these shoes. I don't know if you... Um, uh, you, you see on the bottom of these shoes they had like studs right and you know what the stu like, they're like football studs and the thing about football is that when they had the shield and they would stand up the studs would dig into the floor to stop them going backwards and peace I believe stops us 
being knocked over from left to right. When we stand in God's peace. Amen? So we realise that the devil wants to bring strife and division and we are going to bring peace instead. What's the fourth one? The fourth is this, the shield of faith. It says, the shield of faith which which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I read this. I didn't know this. I read this. Um, Apparently, what fiery darts are, they used to make arrows and they used to make them hollow and then they'd fill them with basically flammable liquid and they'd basically light the flammable liquid and then shoot. So you know this idea of these arrows that are on fire. But what they would do is they they would light the end of it and then shoot it. And as that arrow would hit, right, a shield, it would basically explode, right, and all of that liquid would essentially spray out all over the shield, right? And it would basically light up, ideally light up the shield and it would potentially set the... And that's what it means. When they saw fiery darts, that's what they would have seen in their head, right? That outward attack. And the Roman soldiers apparently used to literally like um, sort of drench their shields in water so that when they hit it, it was less likely to catch, catch fire. And there are times when we face outright attack from the enemy. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, an unexplained sickness when you're trying to minister to someone, right? Or, for example, where your children just suddenly start getting bullied for no reason at school when you're seeking to do something. Or when there's just something happening and you just suddenly feel this great sense of the pressure of a heaviness that comes on you. There are times when it's just an outright attack of the enemy. And what what Paul is saying, what Jesus is saying, you take the shield of faith, the faith that says, no, bang, I'm not having any of that, right? I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I resist that in the name of Jesus. And we take the, and there there may be people here this morning just feeling under real attack, right? And they can't put their finger on it, but there's something that's happening and they're feeling under attack and we have the shield of faith. And lastly, the last piece, well, no, not lastly, sorry. Uh, The last scheme is mind games. The devil loves to play mind games. That, in fact, is his specialty, I think, Right? Right? Uh, and the thing about the, these helmets is that you would not go out into battle without helmet. Because, and the reason they had these things down the side is because people would run alongside and try and whop your head off. Yeah? Right? And, and, or they'd try and knock, literally, like banging on the head. And you know that if you, if you get someone's head, that's it. You've got the whole piece, haven't you? If you get someone's arm right, or someone's leg, they can keep going. If you get someone's head... That's it. They're done for. And the devil understands that if he can undermine what's in our heads, in sin our mind, if he can help make us think that we lose the hope of salvation and there's no security in the present, right, if he can fill our mind with lies, then he can do all kinds of other things. And so we need to be confident in the salvation of God. And I want to ask you this morning, maybe there are some people here that are feeling constantly troubled by lies, being whispered in their ear. And and I think particularly if those thoughts become suicidal or destructive or if they're thoughts that lead you into a place of despair where you feel helpless, that sounds like the work of the enemy. Now, I'm not saying that every thought, right, we can blame the devil for every bad thought we have, right? We often, I I know I have things that I think about that are bad thinking habits and I need to think about, uh, allow God to help me change the way I think. But if you are, particularly when you feel some really dark thoughts, there's a good chance that that is the work of the devil in our lives. And what we do is we put on the helmet of salvation. We say, I am saved in the na- by the name of Jesus. Amen. And my mind is made safe from these things. And lastly, we have, oh, where's it gone? The sword of the spirit. 
So how did, when Jesus was, was being tempted in the wilderness, what did Jesus do? What did he do? He used the word of God. Every time the devil tempted him, what did he come back with? He used the word of God against the devil. If Jesus has to do it, so do we. When Jesus encountered the devil and, and dealt with it, he said, I am not, I am resisting by the word of God. And so it's so important that we realise that the way we defeat the devil is to speak truth back to him. We don't need to necessarily get all like intense and like, oh, I'm going to shout and scream at the devil and kind of get very intense. We don't need to do that. What do we need to do? Quote the word of God. Because the word of God defeats the enemy every time. Amen. Amen. I'd like us to stand um, as we can pray in response to these things.